Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Let's return again to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Someone asked me the other day, are we ever going to finish Philippians? I said, no. We're going to be learning from this book for the rest of our lives. I know for a while we get thoroughly involved in details in study. I know I do. Um, it's, it's always been my practice to take a passage of Scripture or take a block of Scripture and to tear it apart, look at its various components, uh, find out the meanings of words and phrases and put it all together and try to come to an understanding of the whole gist of the idea, but it's important from time to time to step back from a project and to take a look at its overall progress rather than to stay focused on just the details. It's said, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. And our youngest daughter, Erin, has taught us, because she is an architect, that people who build things have to continually refer to the master plan or to the blueprints or the project will become seriously flawed. And so I want us to simply step back this morning and once again take a look at the bigger picture of what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across not only to the Philippian Christians in the day in which he lived but to get across to you and to me. We in our world, as Paul in his world, face difficulties. Amen? We all face trouble. There's trouble in our world. Living is not easy. And the older I get, for me the more difficult life becomes. But Paul has given to us in the book of Philippians a single thesis, a single kernel of truth, a single idea 
that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey with Christ, no matter your level of spiritual maturity, the thesis applies. And that is our joy is in Jesus Christ. Our joy is in Jesus Christ. The theme of the book of Philippians is Christian joy. Not a deep theological thing, but something that even a child can grasp and hold on to. Christian joy. Not just emotional happiness, but true spiritual joy. Now, there's nothing wrong with being happy. There's nothing wrong at all with being happy so long as you understand that happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is capricious. Happiness is uncertain. Christians are to strive for spiritual joy. We're to be a happy people, yes. Ewell Lawson, a great evangelist from Texas, many, many years ago in an evangelism conference that I attended with Pastor Joe Powell when he was alive, he said, and he was just an old country preacher, an old country evangelist, he said, you know, Christians ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. We can do so much more with so little than anybody else I know. We ought to be a happy people. But we also ought to strive for joy. Amen. Strive for spiritual joy. The deep-seated satisfaction. The deep-seated satisfaction in mind, in heart, and in spirit, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit rooted in Jesus Christ and is the result of a right relationship with God our Father. In Romans chapter 14, you don't need to turn there, but in Romans 14 verses 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul wrote, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And I want you to hold on to that last phrase by which one may edify another. We're going to come back to that. That was the attitude of Jesus Christ when he left the courts of heaven to become Lord and Savior of men. His attitude, his attitude was one of self-sacrifice. It was one of faithful obedience to the Father it was one of humble ministry to other people in the service of God the Father. 
And so we look at Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Stand with me again in honor of God's word. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. We pray his blessing upon the reading of his word. You may be seated. The image of Jesus Christ, the image of Jesus Christ as a humble servant of God, as a humble minister among men, is the very core teaching of the Apostle Paul in this letter. There were a number of things that Paul alluded to that we've looked at thus far that gave him an enhanced joy in the Lord. Let me mention three of those. Paul's joy was increased as he remembered the Philippian church. Now Paul was instrumental in starting a number of churches in Asia Minor. Church at Ephesus, church at Colossae, the church in Corinth, the church in Philippi. But we get the sense from the book of Philippians that this church was nearest and dearest to the heart of the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you have had experiences in other churches and, and for whatever reason, I pray it's by the leading of the Holy Spirit you've come here. But the church should be dear to the heart of the true believer. Paul said, I rejoice in every remembrance of you. And he rejoiced for the Philippian church because of their love and their support. While he was with them and while he was away from them, they continued to love him and they continued to support him and they continued to encourage him in his ministry. He rejoiced not only for their love and support, but he also rejoiced in their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this, my friends. I rejoice in that same thing as well. There have been people in the years that I have been here as pastor, there have been people who've come through those doors and there have been people who have gone out through those doors. And sometimes I wonder what has become of them. Sometimes I wonder if they're still faithful to the Lord or if they've turned back into the things of the world. And from time to time, 
I'll get a phone call. From time to time, I'll get an email. From time to time, I'll get a visit from some of those individuals. And they will share with Nancy and with myself the things that God is doing in their lives and the things that the Holy Spirit is working in their lives and through their lives to minister in churches where they're at. And I rejoice in that. My joy in the Lord is compounded because God is using these individuals to continue on the work of his kingdom wherever God has sent them. He rejoiced in their faithfulness in Jesus. He rejoiced in their love for the gospel and their love for those who need the gospel. Because even after the Apostle Paul left Philippi, the Philippian church continued to share the gospel with the people of the city. It's that same joy that he wanted all Christians to experience in their own lives and to share with other folks. Secondly, his joy was enhanced. It was strengthened. It was built up because the church was united in the Holy Spirit in harmony with each other, ministering to each other, working together to affect the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Philippi. He rejoiced in that. That the church had not become stagnant. That the church was not dying out in a pagan city, in a pagan nation. But the church was still working together, serving together, loving one another, ministering the gospel. And third, his joy was increased, his joy was enhanced, it was strengthened, it was encouraged in his calling in Jesus Christ to serve the Lord faithfully by pouring out his life as an offering for the sake of Christ. No matter where the Holy Spirit sent him, the Apostle Paul found trouble. He encountered hardship and difficulty. There was opposition to the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. But he rejoiced in the Lord that the Holy Spirit would send him to such places that he would bear the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who would bitterly oppose him. He did not. He was not happy with the circumstances, but he rejoiced in the Lord that he was faithful to the calling that Jesus Christ extended to him. So here again, the words of the Apostle Paul concerning Jesus and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now notice his obedience was to God the Father. Speaking of Jesus Christ, his obedience was to God the Father. The substance of his obedience was to do the Father's will. 
to do whatever the Lord God wanted him to do. To fulfill the plan of salvation which meant it would take him to the cross and to offer his life as a sacrifice for sin. The will of the Father was to serve the Lord by ministering to others, praying for others, bearing the burdens of others, feeding them, healing them, teaching them the kingdom of God, correcting them when their theology went south, encouraging them, caring for them, and demonstrating compassion to them. And that was the substance of his obedience to the Father. And the extent of that obedience was to go to a cross. In other words, he remained obedient to the Father to the very end of his life. To the very end of his life. He was humble and obedient to the Father. Now, Hear me carefully. We are not called in Christ Jesus to be ministered to by others. We are not called in Christ Jesus to be ministered to, just to be ministered to by others. We are called in Christ Jesus to minister to others. We are called in Christ Jesus to minister to others. Certainly, we need each other in the fellowship of the church to encourage one another and to strengthen one another and to pray for for one another and with one another. We are to be together to study the Word of God together, to worship the Lord together. And it is only in the fellowship of the Christian community that that is possible. And I cannot stress that enough. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the apostle writes, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. To be in church... To be in church with brothers and sisters in the Lord is vital and important. It is vital and important. Even nature demonstrates the necessity of being together in common fellowship. All you have to do is just step outside and take a look. Birds fly and roost in flocks. Cattle and sheep live and roam in herds. Fish swim in schools and dolphins and orcas swim in pods. Whales do too. Those that stray away from their group are vulnerable to attack from the enemy. And you know that's true. 
because some of you watch a lot of nature programs on TV. Some of you see what goes on in nature. There's hardly a year that goes by that Nancy and I will be out in the front yard or out in the backyard and we'll be picking up the remains of some pigeon or some dove that a hawk had gotten and killed and eaten. Why? It's safer in numbers. It's safer in the flock than it is out on your own, isolated. We are called in Christ Jesus to fellowship with one another in the community of faith. We're not called in Christ Jesus just to be ministered to by others. We are called in Christ Jesus to minister to others, which means we have to be with each other in order for that ministry to take place. Amen? We receive from the Lord what we must give to others in the name of the Lord. The Lord pours into our lives so that we in turn can pour those blessings into the lives of others. A very practical illustration is in your Bible when you turn to your maps section, especially the maps of Palestine. The Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake teeming with life because fresh water flows in and fresh water flows out. But several miles to the south of the Sea of Galilee, down the Jordan River, you have the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is dead and stagnant. No life lives in it because... And get this, fresh water flows in, but nothing flows out. And it becomes stagnant. No life. I know churches are not perfect. I've been in a few of them myself. I know churches are not perfect. And you shouldn't hold that against the church. You know why you shouldn't hold that against the church? Because you're not perfect either. I'm not perfect. We are all at varying levels of spiritual maturity or immaturity. But left alone, we will not stay at that level. In fact, we will spiritually drift away from that level. We will not progress as we ought to in the kingdom of God. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting, that means encouraging and spiritually strengthening, like exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. The 
some of us can survive apart from the Christian church, but only barely. Only barely. From the moment of birth, we are self-centered and egocentric. As infants, that's necessary. As infants, that's necessary. If we're not fed and cared for, if we're not the focus of other people, we'll die. But there comes a time in human development when self-centeredness and egocentricity must give way to selflessness and humility. When it's all about me must be replaced by it's all about us and it's all about you, not me. Some people never arrive at that development in life. Christians must arrive at that development in life if they are to experience the spiritual joy the Apostle Paul talks about in Christ Jesus. Now Paul sets the example. Let me read it to you again in the Good News Bible translation. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. He always had the nature of God, but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. Instead of this, of his own free will, he set aside his rights and privileges and took the nature of a slave. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked in obedience to the Father all the way to death, including his death on the cross. Jesus sets the example. And the Apostle Paul gives us the instruction in verses 1 through 4 of the first chapter. He says, your life in Christ makes you strong and his love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit and you have kindness and compassion for one another. I urge you then to make me completely happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, and being one in soul and mind. Do not do anything from selfish ambition or from cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering the other better than yourself. And look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. We are a faith community. I would rather refer to us as we are a Christian family. And as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need to act like a Christian family. To work together for the good of the family and for the good of the name of the family. I remember as a young boy we lived out in the sticks, out in the hills and hollers in Arkansas. And, and uh, we worked all the time uh, when school was out. And, uh, you know, we had cattle we had to take care of and fences we had to mend and chickens that we had to take care of and hogs we had to take care of and do all kinds of things on 250-acre 
place that we were working. And so we didn't get to go to town all that much. And whenever we would go into town, Dad would pile David and myself and Mary Ann and Mom and Bill and we'd all get in the car and we'd go into town and Dad would always park by the auction barn because Dad always had business at the sale barn. And we'd park, he'd park in the parking lot and before he would let us out, he would turn around and look at us kids in the back seat and he would tell us, now you remember whose children you are. He didn't want us to do anything or to be involved in anything that would put a bad light on the family name. And as a Christian family, we ought to have the same attitude, should we not? We shouldn't be out in the world doing anything or being involved in anything that would bring, that would besmirch the name of Jesus Christ by whom we're called. We should be loving one another. We should be caring for one another. We should be bearing one another's burdens. We should be concerned about the welfare of one another. We should be praying for one another. We should be ministering to one another because that's what families do. Amen. Or they ought to if it's a healthy family. So let me put this down into practical terms. How do we do that? How do we do that? Look around you. Look around you. Who's not here that should be here? Who's not here that should be here? Contact them. Contact them. And you may very well say, well, hey, they were here last week. They were here last Sunday. Okay, but they're not here today. So contact them and let them know that you missed them. Let them know that they are missed. Ask if there's something that you can do to minister to them. Sometimes we don't get any further than just, hey, how you doing? And that's it. When they come through the door. Maybe we need to take the next step and say, is there, is there something that I can help you with? Is there some ministry that I can perform for you? And I love what Pastor David says when he talks to folks. Can I pray for you about something? Is there something in your life that I can pray for you? Ministry leaders... Who's on your team roster? Who's on your team roster who's out on the fringes and not in, really involved in anything? Teachers, who's on your class roll that's not attending? Deacons, who's on the membership roll of the deacon families that's AWOL? Pastors, who's on the membership roll of the church that's not in fellowship, not in worship, not in service. And it may very well be some of you will say, I can't get out much anymore, I can't drive, I can't visit. Okay, you can pick up a phone. You can pick up a phone. Can you sit down for a moment and write a card? 
or a brief letter? Can you send a text? Can you fire off an email? Can you get on Facebook or some other social media and minister to someone there? God only knows Satan uses social media to destroy lives and to destroy families. Why can't we use it to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by ministering to other people? Amen. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You don't know him. He was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. He was arrested. He was thrown in jail, prison, concentration camp. And he ministered to the prisoners in the camp where he was. And he was told not to minister the name of Jesus to the prisoners in the camp. That didn't stop him. He continued to have Bible studies with those who would listen. He continued to bind up the wounds of those who were broken. He continued to pray for and to encourage those who had lost all hope until finally word came down from the higher-ups that he was to be removed and they took him out and they hanged him. They hanged him. He wrote a book. I would encourage you, if you've never read it, buy it, read it. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he writes these words, When Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. It is only because he, speaking of Christ, became like us that we can become like him. He wrote, Only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient truly believes. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. David, come and lead us in a song. He is I pray that your word has encouraged us to look beyond our own problems and concerns and issues and burdens and weaknesses and to see, Lord God, that there are those around us who need to hear the comforting word of Jesus Christ, who need to feel 
the comforting hand of the Lord in their life, who need to know the compassion of the Lord demonstrated in our lives and through our lives to them. May we never excuse ourselves from serving you. May we be as your son Jesus Christ. May we humble ourselves before you and be obedient to you even if it takes us all the way to a cross. May we lift up the name of Jesus Christ and may we minister to others saved and not saved. May we minister to others in the name of Jesus Christ that you will be honored and glorified in it all. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. Have a great day in the Lord today. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.